We want to make our way to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to pick up there today. We completed the book of James last week, and, and we're going to spend some time on Philippians. So if you want to start turning there, that would be just wonderful as I set up the passage here. You know, there's been a lot going on in our world lately, hasn't there? That's an understatement. A lot going on in our world, a lot going on in our country. So I read this on Facebook from uh, Tammy, actually, and then I shared it, and it got a good laugh, and I thought I'd share this as I begin the message today, because it will help us lead into the message. And it says this, everyone, please be careful, because people are going crazy from being locked down at home. I was just talking about this with the microwave and the toaster while drinking my coffee, and we all agreed that things are getting bad. I didn't mention any of this to the washing machine, because she puts a different spin on everything. Certainly couldn't share with the fridge, because he's been acting cold and distant. In the end, the iron straightened me out. She said the situation isn't all that pressing, and all the wrinkles will soon get ironed out. The vacuum, however, was very unsympathetic. Told me just to suck it up, buttercup. But the fan was very optimistic and gave me hope that it will all blow over soon. The toilet looked a bit flushed but didn't say anything when I asked his opinion. But the front door said I was becoming unhinged, and the doorknob told me to get a grip. You can just about guess what the curtains told me. They told me to pull myself together. We will survive. Things are a little crazy, aren't they? They've been crazy since the beginning of time, actually. We live in a fallen world. Maybe we don't realize that. Maybe the craziness has been exposed a little more the last six or eight months. But in Genesis 1 through 2, we, think, we see that God created everything good. It was created good. But beginning in Genesis 3, sin entered the world, and the world has been fallen ever since. Maybe we need to change the perspective on things, change the perspective. I read this little story once before, and so I did not write this. But this person writes, one of the most celebrated sports heroes in our state the state that uh, this person lived in, was Charlie Boswell. Charlie Boswell. Charlie was blinded in World War II while rescuing a buddy from a burning tank. He had always been a great athlete, so after the war he took up golf. While in college, I saw him play an exhibition match. Of course, he had a friend line him up and give him a distance, but I can testify that it's hard to hit that little white ball when you're looking at it. Boswell won the National Blind Golf Championship 16 times, once shooting a score of 81. In 1958, Charlie came to Fort Worth to receive the coveted Ben Hogan Award. Mr. Hogan agreed to play a round of golf with Charlie. Charlie said, would you like to play for money? Hogan said, that wouldn't be fair. Charlie said, come on, Mr. Hogan, are you afraid to play a blind golfer? Hogan was really pretty competitive, and he said, Okay, I'll play for money. How much? Boswell said, How about $1,000 per hole? Hogan said, That's a lot. How many strokes do you want me to give you? Boswell said, No strokes. I'll play you heads up. And uh, Charlie said, or Boswell said, I can't, I can't do that. What would people think of me taking advantage of a blind man? What would people think of me taking advantage of a blind man in a game of golf at $1,000 per hole? Boswell smiled and said, Don't worry, Mr. Hogan. Our tea time is tonight at midnight. 
It's a change in the perspective, isn't it? It's a change in your way of thinking about things, a change in a way of doing things. It evens the odds a little bit, doesn't it? And let me ask you, do you ever feel like you are living in a dark world? Do you ever feel blind? Lately, I'm sure that many of us have felt that way. I'm sure that many have felt like you're golfing in the dark. Maybe you feel like there's no no light outside because everything is still going on. You just feel like it's dark. And so because of everything still going on, I decided to change my sermon plans. Last Monday, I made a decision, uh, hopefully following God's lead. I was going to get back to evangelism this Sunday because we finished James. But I decided we are going to spend five weeks on Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Five weeks, five Sundays on Philippians 4, 4 through 8. So today, this, this is the plan. Today, we are going to talk about rejoicing in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoicing in the Lord always. Next week, we're going to talk about Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. On September 6th, we're going to talk about Philippians 4, 6, which says, Be anxious for nothing, instead pray. Be anxious for nothing, instead pray. On September 13th, we're going to talk about how to have the peace of God. Do you ever want the peace of God? Do you want peace in a dark world? We're going to talk about that, and that comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And then we will close out this short series with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, September 20th, which says to think on these things. Think on these things. So I've given you some time. I hope you're on Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 now. Let's read this passage, Philippians 4, 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let's think about that. Let's think for a few moments about rejoicing in the Lord. Paul gives a simple statement, doesn't he? Paul says to rejoice in the Lord. You know, how often are we to rejoice in the Lord? Always. It says always, doesn't it? We are to rejoice in the Lord at all times. That's what this passage says. Paul tells us just that. Paul even says, actually, I'm going to turn around. He says to rejoice in some things. No. He says to rejoice in all things. You know, I understand, and I think that the Apostle Paul would also understand that sometimes it is hard to rejoice, isn't it? Sometimes it might seem difficult to rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes you might feel like you're playing golf in a dark world, and I can't imagine doing that. Have you ever had times in your life when you felt there was nothing to rejoice about? Maybe that is going on right now. Maybe right now it's difficult for you to rejoice. It is It is, isn't it? When Paul was writing this letter, he was under house arrest. There were guards around him. We know there were guards because in Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, he talks about the guards all around him. And you know that he even talks about being thankful because he was able to be a witness to the whole praetorian guard surrounding him. Paul is also writing this to the Philippians who were persecuted for their faith. We're told they were persecuted. 
The city of Philippi was a Roman colony, and they were very Roman in culture. They even spoke Latin, which was a little bit more rare at that point. By this point in Paul's life, get this, by this point in Paul's life, he had already been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned and left for dead, and so much more. You can see that in Acts chapter 14. You can see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul had gone through a lot by this point in his life. Yet, Paul says to rejoice in the Lord. Paul even repeats it twice. You get that? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It is thought, people look at that and think, why did he repeat it twice? And it's thought he might have repeated it twice, thinking that the people are going to wonder, how can they rejoice when they're going through such difficulty? How can they rejoice when they're going through literal, physical persecution? How can Paul say to rejoice when he's been under house arrest? How can he say that? You know, it's interesting that Philippians is a different type of letter. Paul wrote many different letters to the churches, all inspired by God. You know, you have 1 Corinthians, in which Paul has to rebuke the people. You have Romans, which is Paul's great treatise on salvation. But Philippians is a little bit different. There's no rebuke in Philippians. Philippians has been called um, the letter of joy. The epistle of joy. Dr. Rydelnik of Moody Bible Institute goes a little further. He thinks that it's about joy in unity. Having unity as a church and having joy within that unity. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, Paul even says that they have suffered for Christ. That's where we can see that they've suffered for Christ. Yet Paul exhorts them to rejoice in the Lord always. The question is, and this is a question for me and for you, for all of us, do we have reasons to rejoice? The question is, did they have reason to rejoice? Apparently they did, because Paul tells them to rejoice. If Paul tells them to rejoice, they must have reason to rejoice. And I think that we have reason to rejoice as well. Think about it this way. Could it be that rejoicing in the Lord is the ultimate help when we are emotionally burdened? Let me repeat that. Could it be that rejoicing in the Lord is the ultimate help when we are emotionally burdened? Could it be that when we don't feel like rejoicing is when we really need to rejoice? Is that possible? Ponder that later today and now. Maybe that's why Paul tells them to rejoice in the Lord always. I'm reminded right now of Something that I've said a lot, Steve said a lot, that a lot of our hymns are written by people going through a lot of turmoil. How does Johnny Erickson Tata write so well and have such a great ministry, being a quadriplegic for now, I believe, 52 years? Could it be that the ultimate cure is worship? The ultimate cure is rejoicing in the Lord. That's what we really need. Paul tells him to rejoice even when he's in prison and they have suffered for Christ. I'm amazed. You know, Paul could have told them to complain to the Lord, but he didn't do that. Paul actually told them the opposite. In Philippians 2.14, Paul tells him not to complain. Again, do we have reasons to rejoice? I'm going to come back to that in a moment. 
You know, of course, Paul modeled rejoicing in the Lord. Paul modeled thankfulness. If you look at his great doxologies and benedictions across his writings, one person writes the following. This, this person writes this. He says, when Paul's enemies preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, wanting to wound Paul and undermine his ministry, Paul welled up not with anger, bitterness, or resentment, but with joy. This is what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Isn't that amazing? You can see that in Philippians 1, 15 through 17. People wanted just to get back at Paul by preaching Christ. They're preaching Christ for the wrong reason. And Paul just says, as long as Christ is preached, it's good. It takes more than human courage to rejoice when you're mistreated, especially when you're in prison where you can't defend yourself. And that's the situation the Apostle Paul was in when he said, rejoice in the Lord always. John Piper says uh, this about these verses. This is what John Piper says. He says, when we have little and have lost much, Christ comes and reveals himself as more valuable than what we have lost. And when we have much and are overflowing in abundance, in abundance, Christ comes and he shows that he is far superior to everything we have. You hear that? I want to repeat that. When we have little and have lost much, Christ comes and reveals himself as more valuable than what we have lost. And when we have much and are overflowing in abundance, Christ comes and he shows that he is far superior to everything we have. We can rejoice in the Lord. Actually, get this. In Acts 16.25, that would be, I want to say, Paul's second missionary journey. Paul and Silas are in prison. They've been beaten. It's the middle of the night and they're in prison. And what are they doing? They're singing hymns in the middle of the night. They're singing hymns in prison after being beaten and thrown in prison. And later on, God uses that to reach the jailer in his whole household with the gospel. He's rejoicing in the Lord. Do we have reasons to rejoice? Is, is Christ everything to us? Maybe we need to do a gut check there. Let's look at another passage. How do we rejoice? Look at Colossians 3, 16 through 17. You can either turn there or listen as I read it. Colossians 3, 16 through 17 says this. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I love it. This passage and really all of the verses we are going to be talking about for the next month deal with sanctifying our thinking. To sanctify sanctify means to set apart for a purpose. All these passages are dealing with setting apart our thinking for a purpose. Changing the perspective. Changing the narrative. It's about Jesus. It's about rejoicing in the Lord. It's about, look at that passage. Instead of focusing on the negative, we do what Colossians 3, 16 through 17 says. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How is the word of Christ to dwell within us? Richly. That's what it says. And then it says more. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Thankfulness. You ever think about how important thankfulness in the Christian life? Someone once said, if you look at Romans 1, starting around verse 18, we see about the fallenness of humanity. And someone once said, when we, start, when we stop being thankful, that's what happens. We stop being thankful to our awesome creator and worshiping our awesome creator. We start falling away and rejecting him and going to the utter depravity of humanity. This is about focusing our thinking. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Teach and admonish one another. Notice the focus on thankfulness then. Then look at verse 17. Whatever you do, everything. It says whatever you do. That includes everything in word or deed. So it has to do with our speech or our actions. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's changing the perspective. We may have a bad time with our boss or with some type of family or friend situation. We may have a bad time understanding what's going on in the world, but this changes the perspective to focus on Jesus. This changes the perspective that we are ultimately working for King Jesus. We are rejoicing in the Lord in everything that we do. And that takes practice, but that is our encouragement for today. At this point, I want to change the narrative a little bit more, change the perspective a little bit more. I want us to think about our great God, whom we rejoice. Let's think about how awesome God is and rejoice in him. You know, we know that God created the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then as you go through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see how God created everything with great precision and great detail. We see Job chapters 38 through 42 about how awesome creation is when the Lord pretty much rebukes Job. Uh, who are you, Job? Were you around when I hung the stars in the sky and, and called them all by name? We know that we serve an awesome God who created everything. And a long time ago, I was listening to a John MacArthur message, and John MacArthur was preaching on John chapter 1, I'm sorry, on Romans chapter 1, and about the fallenness of humanity, and this is what John MacArthur writes. Think, as I read this, think about our awesome God and his awesome creation, and rejoice in him. He cares for you and me. He cares for us. This is what he says. Do you know that birds navigate by the stars? Now, how did that ever happen? Do you know that birds raised from eggs inside a building where they've never seen the sky can instantly orient themselves toward home when shown an artificial sky representing a place their species have never been? How does that work? I don't have any idea. There's a fish called archerfish. I don't know if you've ever heard about archerfish. They shoot drops of water with great accuracy at insects. Because it's water, it doesn't kill the insects. Scientists think they just do it for fun. Now, how did they ever develop that? Our awesome God in the great precision creating everything. Mites, little microscopic bugs, live in the ear of a moth. And a moth can fly fine if only one ear is occupied. If two ears are occupied, it can't fly. And strangely enough, mites don't get in both ears. How do they know that? How do these little guys, these little mites, know that if one of their buddies is over there, they shouldn't go in on the other side? How do they know that? There's a thing called the bombardier beetle. Maybe some of you have heard it. Bombardier beetle. It produces chemicals in its body in two separate sacs. And when the enemy comes along, that little beetle has the ability to mix those two little chemical fluids, and they come out of the mouth and explode in the face of the enemy. But the explosion never occurs prematurely. 
Now, you can't evolve two explosive liquids in a beetle and never blow the beetle up. How amazing is that? The explosion never happens prematurely. MacArthur says, I think you're getting the picture in ways you probably have never thought about before. Do you know codfish lay 9 million eggs? 9 million. You probably know that. Do you know the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference, weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons, and hangs in empty space, and spins at 1,000 miles an hour with perfect precision? And at the same time, it's spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, is careening through space around the sun in an orbit of 586 million miles at the speed of 1,000 miles a minute. Do you know that comets can have tails a million miles long and travel 350 miles per second? It's astonishing stuff, isn't it? And then these people come along and say, well, it just happened. MacArthur continues, if you follow the God-given reason of cause and effect, you're going to have to come, to a, come back to a great cause, aren't you? And then you follow conscience, and you're going to find out that whoever the great cause is, he is moral. And he has a law that can't be violated without consequences. Now, that's not redemptive truth. As Stephen Alford said, but that's getting you back to the God who can redeem. The redemptive truth then unfolds on the pages of Scripture. Listen to what Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote, God gave man brains to see things, these things. And the sorrowful answer is that God gave man brains, for example, to smelt iron and make a hammerhead and nails. And God grows a tree and gives man strength to cut it down and brains to fashion a hammer handle from its wood. And when man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hands and let man drive those nails through it. Place him on a cross in the supreme demonstration that man rejects God. Rejection. God gives the truth and men turn from the truth. And then they become futile, empty in their speculations. Empty, useless, nothingness. And they get sucked into darkness where they can't know God. And the law of God no longer speaks and conscience no longer reacts. And reason is warped and twisted and the light goes out. Now John MacArthur show, talked about all that from Romans 1, which is about the depravity of man. But I'm sharing it more to talk about how awesome God's creation is. And yet God became part of his creation to die for us and redeem us and give us salvation. Our God is awesome. Amen? He created this awesome creation and then became part of his creation to save us. We have reasons to rejoice in our awesome God. I believe that. I believe you believe that too. We have reasons to rejoice. Do you know in the previous verse, the Apostle Paul talked about people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, your name, our name, is also written in the Lamb's book of life. It's one of the books talked about in heaven. God talks about the church, Jesus talks about the church persevering in Revelation, whose names will not be blotted out from the Lamb's book of life. We have eternal life with Jesus, but we also have the fuller life, complete life, and abundant life with him now. And we commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have a relationship with God Almighty. You know, a few minutes ago, I was just talking about how awesome creation is. An awesome creator Put all that together and cares about you and me. Died for us and even gives us a relationship with him. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are called his children. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Isn't that amazing? We are called children of God. 
There's another passage, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18. Habakkuk is talking about all the bad things going on. And then Habakkuk says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Can we say that this week? Yet I will rejoice. No matter what's going on with COVID-19 and other things within the country, we will rejoice in the Lord. We will be joyful in God my Savior. He continues, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's Habakkuk 3, 18 and 19. We serve an awesome God and we have many reasons to rejoice. We have eternal life in him as I already referred to. We have a fuller, complete, abundant life with him right now. We have the body of Christ which we can still meet with right now. We have the Bible, the Word of God, in our own language, in multiple different translations. We have all this which God has provided for us, and we must be thankful. Remember at the beginning of this sermon, I talked about the blind golfer. What do you do? He said he would golf at midnight. He changed things. He changed things. He kind of evened out the odds. He changed the perspective. He changed the narrative. And you know what I think we need to do? We must change the perspective. We must focus on rejoicing in the Lord. And in rejoicing, we will light up the darkness. That's changing the perspective. It's changing, it's changing the outlook. It's changing what's going on. It's focusing on rejoicing. So this week, here's my encouragement. It's also a challenge. This week, rejoice in the Lord always. Try to do that. You know, that, that's such a short verse. You can meditate it on all day long. You can ruminate on it. You can memorize it all day long. And so no matter what happens, make it your aim to rejoice in the Lord. And then at the end of the day, at the end of each day, reflect to see how you have done the previous day and pray about it. If you made improvement, that's awesome. If you still stumbled and ended up griping and complaining, which Philippians 2.14 tells us not to do, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Instead, rejoice in the Lord at all times. So if you have problems with grumbling and complaining, pray about that. Talk to the Lord about it. Journal about it. And then try the next day to do better. Try for improvement. Don't get discouraged. We're in a fallen world and we're affected by the fallenness and we're still trying to battle sin. But try for improvement. Rejoicing in the Lord always. That's what the Apostle Paul said to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And next week, we'll pick up from there. We'll talk about letting your gentleness be made known to all. Of course, the first step is knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. The first step is committing to him. Make him Lord of your life. And I wonder where you're at there. Whether you're here or whether you're watching on the internet, on Facebook, face, uh, yeah, Facebook Live, or whether you're watching on the website, where are you at with the Lord? Have you confessed that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you believed in Him as the one and only Savior? Have you trusted Him, trusted in Him and committed to Him? Have you firmly made the decision to be with Him? God calls us to live in a relationship with Him in order to become like Him, to learn and do all that He says and arrange your affairs around Him. If you've committed your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you're still living for the world, you're probably not going to do very well at rejoicing in the Lord. However, if you make it your aim that Jesus is Lord of your life, and you're going to be a follower of Him, and you're going to live with Him, and you're going to live with Him through the body of Christ, through time in the Word of God and spiritual disciplines, and time with prayer, I believe the Holy Spirit will affect you so mightily that He's going to give you more and more reasons to rejoice in Him. So where are you at? 
The Bible calls us to confess we are a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior, to trust in him and commit to him. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us changing the narrative. I pray that you would help us rejoicing in you. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We need, we desperately need your help. We need the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us to to encourage us and strengthen us to rejoice. First and foremost, Lord, we need to know you, to be in a relationship with you, to live with you. We are focused on you. You are our hope, Lord, not politics or politicians or government. You are our hope. Lord God, we see from the scriptures that the world has fallen and it's affected everything. So we need you, Jesus. We need you. Help us focusing on you, changing the perspective to watch you, to spend time with you. How is spending lots of time with you this week, praying without ceasing, being thankful in everything we do, spending time in your word devotionally, but also studying the word, ruminating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures. We need your help. And Lord God, if there's anyone here who has not turned their life over to you, have not surrendered to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess They are a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you as the one and only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. And help us all committing to you, Lord. Where we fall away, where we backslide, may we repent. Repent and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. I invite Steve and the worship team up for their closing song and prayer.